Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Good. <laughs> well, it has definitely been a very busy week uh, and a lot of heavy news has been forthcoming. Um, right now, we are in the middle of a pledge drive for uh, Blizzard Watch. We are currently at a very low Patreon uh, support level, and with the trouble that we've been having with our advertisers, uh, it is causing us to cut back on a lot of items, uh, a lot of writers, a lot of staffing, and a lot of things to try to make sure that the site continues to go. Right now, we are asking that if you enjoy our content, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe after its release, uh, if you've considered becoming a Patreon supporter, now would be the time to do so. And it's at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. We do offer a number of benefits depending on the tier you're in. Uh, such as early access to our podcasts. Uh, we do have an ads-free experience for the site as well. Uh, and we do have other things that we do uh, give to our Patreon subscribers, like access to our staff chat. Uh, so you can see a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. So it's one of those things, if you've been on the fence and you've been enjoying our content and you can support us monetarily, now's the time for us to, to sort of ask you to do that. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. We want to make sure that the site continues to, to exist and uh, can get back to where it was. Um, now that that's out of the way, uh, we are going to be answering some of your questions today. If we, if we can get to the uh, get there, we have uh, a topic that we're going to talk about ahead of, uh, at the top of the show. Uh, but if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, you can send those into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com or our Q and podcast questions channel on discord. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you can hit those up to us directly in the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel, which we do give first billing as another added benefit to our Patreon subscribers uh, for whenever we pull any questions in for any of our shows. But let's get into this week's episode. And I want to talk about something that uh, I found accidentally. Like, I don't know that I knew it was there, uh, but I was poking around the area last night while I was waiting for a uh, a group to get ready to do some mythic plus keys. And I'm sitting inside of the inn at the base of Amadrasil. Amadrasil? I, 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 one way I'll, I'm going to pronounce that a million different ways. Don't worry. Amadrasil, I think. Amadrasil. Um, and inside the inn is a book laying on the table. And it is highlighted in a soft purple glow. It is something you can actually pick up and loot. Uh, and it is a readable book. And the book is titled The Legend of Alun Ahir. Now, I'm going to read this because I think there's some interesting implications here. Uh, and I th wanted to read it, too, because I think there's some stuff in here that Matt called out like three years ago, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Uh, so the book reads as follows. As we gather to defend Amadrasal, uh, we cannot help but recall the tragic fates of World Tree's past. Those lost to sacrifice, to corruption, to flame. Yet there is an ancient tale, some claim it merely a legend, that tells of an earlier world tree that also met a sorrowful fate. Though it lived only a short time, its legacy endures. Long before the dragons drew breath, Azeroth was conquered by writhing horrors that plummeted from the skies and infested our world, the old gods. How long the reign of their black empire lasted, we cannot know. Surely it must have been a time of unimaginable suffering. But at long last, there came hope. The brave titan Agrimar discovered Azeroth, shining like a beacon in the great dark. As he gazed upon the beauty and power of its slumbering soul, he realized it was imperiled. He told the other members of the Pantheon how the world they sought had been corrupted by the old gods. The titans gathered to eradicate this dark influence. Seeking to bring hope and healing, our patron titan, Aenar, carried a gift given to her by Elune, a branch of Gahnir, the mother world tree. The Titan believed that the influence of life would drive the darkness away. So she reached down her hand and shaped the soil of Azeroth, planting the branch where it could be fed by river and sky. The branch swiftly grew into a tree, its roots extending deep, deep below the surface. Anar smiled for everywhere the roots stretched, new life emerged. She called the tree Aluna here in honor of her great love. When Amunthal saw that what Aenar had done, he chided her. This is not order, he bellowed. You have infected this world with uncontrolled chaos. 
the High Father took hold of the World Tree's trunk and tore it from the earth. Anar wept bitter tears that rained down upon the resulting crater. But as she peered down upon the sundered earth, the Titan realized a truth she did not share with the High Father. Though he had destroyed the tree, its winding roots held firm beneath the soil, hidden from Amanthul's gaze. As the forces of the Titans waged war against the Black Empire, Anar bid her keeper Freya to watch over the crater and nurture the life that blossomed there. Below ground, the roots fed upon the tears of Anar and grew strong. The war was long, but in the end, the Titans claimed victory, and Anar was pleased, knowing Elune's legacy would endure. It is said that much later, and the world as the world entered a new age, mysterious guardians arrived who dedicated their lives to protecting the roots. But that is a tale for another time. Now let us stand with our allies to defend Emidrasil, crown of harmony, together. We will preserve this symbol of hope, the symbol of the future. It is really, really, really interesting, a lot of the stuff there. The fact that the branch of Gahanir was given to Anar by a loon, that's a huge revelation. Well, the revelation is that it was given to Anar. Yeah. That was never really mentioned before. Uh-huh. It was just kind of like vaguely mentioned somehow the branch got here somehow, blah, blah. But also the fact that Anar uh, referred is referred to Alun, at least the way I took it, is that Alun was Anar's love, which would explain yeah, why. Whatever she means by that. Yes. I, mean, I, I certainly took it to mean the two of them were in a relationship of some sort. Which would also explain uh, why Anar's soul went to Alundris. Yes, it would. You, you know, you definitely. But also, what does that mean in terms of Anar and Alun? Why the tear of Alun was the thing that. You know, for for lack of a better word, Aonar, the thing that Aonar provided for the pillars of creation was the tear of a loon. And the other tears of the tears of Aonar watered the tree's roots. It's an interesting consideration. Uh, wh- whatever they are, whatever a loon is, uh, Aonar dealt with her as someone she loved. And the interesting and, thing is, we this all I think this also refers to potentially Ungirl Crater, which is, at least in my estimation, one of those areas that one is referred to as the crater, we know it was used as, and I'm air quoting, a Titan Petri dish. Mm-hmm. And there is Titan facilities around there that we never knew why. But because there's only really two places that it would have made sense would have been Sholazar Basin, which probably would have been too close to the rest of the Titans facility watchers. Right. And then there's there on Girl Crater, right where it needed to be. And the interesting well, there's a way gate between Sholazar and Ungoro. Yeah. So, uh, and for that matter, when we're talking about all this, I mean, the whole idea that, you know, later some guardians just showed up and were like, you know, we will protect this. Uh, huh? Who, who are these people? You know? And we learned nothing about them in this. So that, that's interesting right there. Um. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I, I, one of the things I'm interested in is like how figurative this is versus literal. Like, mm-hmm. are there literally 
is every world tree to follow essentially hooking into this root system that was left behind by the first one. Well, it reminded me of something you said a long time ago, and I think it was when we started doing our, when we did our world tree episode, um, and we did the whole history of the world trees, you talked about the idea that the trees form this huge underground network that sort of interlock with each other, but you also refer to it as potentially a shield, like a shield almost encapsulating the world soul. And it seems like you might have been right on the mark, at least from some of the description here. Uh, maybe. Uh, past me can deal with it himself. I don't care. Uh, but what I do care about is thinking about something else that we've talked about before. Uh, when you suggest Ungoro, the reason that I'm interested in that suggestion is remember that there's a world tree only in the alternate version of the nightmare Ungoro in the Emerald Nightmare. Yeah. There was a world tree possessed by, uh, oh, bloody heck, what was that stupid guy's name? Oh, um, yeah, I can't remember his name, but yeah, yeah Uzi, Uzi bad guy. He was uh, one of the old God's servants. He's the one that did all those whispers. Um, if there was originally a world tree in that spot that of all people, Amonthul ripped Ilganoth. out. Amonthul's going to stop. Ilganoth, thank you. Amonthul's going to stop just ripping stuff out. Yeah. Like that's his solution to everything. Uh, but, th- but think about what that implies for what was going on in Ngoro when we, you know, when we fought Ilganoth in the Emerald dream version of it, uh, it would imply that in the Emerald dream, to some extent, that tree is still there mm-hmm. because the tree's root system didn't, get destroyed and it was kept alive. I mean, essentially speaking, that means that that world tree is there, even if it's not there, which is, go ahead. I was gonna say, it's an interesting implication too, because if that implication is true and we know to a certain effect that, uh, what was the one in Northrend? I can remember the one that fell that has the, um, Oh yeah. Um, the the pool of serenite in the bottom. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, and I cannot remember its name to save my life. So you keep talking, and I'll go look it up. But there's power there. We know that there's power there. There's enough power there to sustain life, which is why Yog saron was interested in it. It's why Serenite is there. There's a pool of Serenite surrounding a fresh, growing sapling, essentially right in the middle of it, an island in the center. And one of the quests you actually get is to defend it. It's to protect it from the things that are coming out of that goop trying to get at it. Um but it's it's interesting because uh, it was Andrasil, and then when it got destroyed, it became Vordrasil. Thank you. Uh, but it, the interesting thing is, like, we know that it was still there. It's still capable of of springing up life because a new piece of life is springing from it, and it's that little island pure from Serenite. It's pushing the Serenite away. Oh, I should also point this out while we're talking about that. Within the Emerald Dream, Andrasil still stands tall. Yes. So world trees that have been felled aren't felled in the dream. And I think that's important with what's going on right now in the Emerald dream, like why we're dealing with what we're dealing with, because what are we trying to do? We're trying to make sure that the tree is born, that it's not dismantled. It's not corrupted. It's not consumed before it has a chance to be born because what happens to it in the dream may be, that may be the essence of true death or, or true essence altering, which is why Firak is so concerned with it and going there specifically and not waiting for it to be born. What do you think? I mean, that certainly is one possibility. And it does definitely play into this idea that the birth of Amir Drasil was an attempt to redress the balance. Like the things were, they basically had lost too much and the, the balance from like the deaths of the night elves and so forth, the, the loss of Teldrassil for all that Teldrassil wasn't, anything you know that was basically the idea of one person and we know that fandral staghelm wasn't entirely stable and it's it's curious to me that he wanted to make a world tree so badly and partially he said he wanted to create uh, a return to the immortality of the night elves but we know that he was being manipulated by Xavius. yep and that Xavius even had them plant a branch of the tree that was grown inside him by malfurion during the war of the ancients he had that grafted onto Teldrassil, although it was later cleansed, but with the complete destruction of Teldrassil and the corruption of Shaldrassil by the, by the Satyr, you know, Nordrassil was regrowing, but think about the, you know, if you look at the world tree situation of the world trees that we have had, Nordrassil was nearly destroyed. It, mm-hmm. it barely survived. Teldrassil destroyed. Uh, Andrasil destroyed. Shaldrassil corrupted. 
And the unnamed tree in the uh, Emerald Dream is obviously not there in our Ungoro. Mm-hmm. If that tree is the tree we just heard about, that's the first tree in the system. And what is, what is that whole thing about how many torches to light our way? Five torches. Yeah. With, with the ones that we know have been destroyed or corrupted. One, two, three, four. We can count. Four, de- yeah, four destroyed. Order so you can't count. Yeah, I was going to say we can't count in order to but we can kind of count the one that Ilganoth was in. Yeah, so that's four. If Amir Dassal falls, that's five. And it would make sense, though, too, right? Like, it ties back in with a couple of the things. Like, in the book, it talks about uh, the tree being able to drive back the darkness where the root the roots are, where they touch, where life springs up. So we know that it is pushing back sort of the the, and, the Black Empire a little bit. At least it's mm-hmm. capable of doing so. And it, it would explain why, why Fandral kept thinking world trees were the solution to everything. Because they kind of were. <laughs> like, you know, he's like, well, if, you know, if we can just get this one, you know, of course he'd keep going back to it. It's, it's almost, it's, it's weird to bring a Diablo reference in here, but it's almost like the deal with the soul stones. Mm-hmm. Soul stones never really seem to work. They've always got problems, but they're still all we've got. You know, for in Fandral's mind, maybe he was like, look, I know that we're not, you know, that the previous world trees have not solved the problem. But if we defend this one, you know, maybe it'll do it this time. Yeah. And I think he was onto something. I don't, I think he was onto something. I think the problem was, is that Fandral was obviously noticed by the old gods when he was involved in the war to stop Cahoon. And I think they marked him as somebody to break because broken, you mean Cthulhu, not Cahoon. Sorry. Yes, Cthulhu. Sorry. Um, I thought I said Cthulhu. I didn't think I said Cahoon, but whatever. Um, they marked him. They killed. They had one of their servants kill his son in front of him. And you'll notice that all the stuff he does afterwards is always kind of about wanting to try and bring his son back or preserve his son's child or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he joins the Druids of the Flame because he wants. To like you know he, he's he's broken by what happens at Teldrassil, but he also because he wants to protect you know he goes to his daughter-in-law who's lost her child. That's his last living. That's you know his son's daughter has died. That's the last bit of Fandral's like family. The only person left to him is his son's widow. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of like tragedy in Fandral. Like Fandral was, you know, he, he often argued with his teacher, but he was, you know, even Malfurion argued with his teacher. Malfurion's the guy who discovered the pack form mm-hmm. and he used it and went mad and attacked scenarios. I mean, so let it's, it's not like, you know, Malfurion is above this kind of stuff. So that, you know, arguing with your teacher is just something people do. Um, but Fandral always seems to have like he it's like you know he didn't get to be where he was for nothing you know he did before they murdered his son in front of him and broke him he was holding the old god forces off he was beating the akir well and he was also doing research at that time too because don't forget he was wasn't he in communication with the the high elves didn't he have runners going back and forth i don't know if he did or not but we know that there were high elves going to winter spring so we um it's possible they work in communication. I I don't know that that's true, but I don't know that it's not. There's a possibility. But the, the interesting thing to me, though, is if he's looking for ways to secure against the old god, what also is right next to where Cthulhu is? A girl crater is a hop, skip, and a jump away. Yeah, and we know for a fact that the old god's minions went around it. They had to. They, didn't, they did not go through Ungoro. They went around it. Yeah. It's actually worth pointing out that even if Fandral wasn't in communication with the High Elves, the 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 what's the civilization around where the High Elves are now, there are Elven ruins going back to before that. Yeah. Um. What is it called? A uh, Bow Shadow, Leaf Shadow. Uh. Yeah. Uh, bow Shadow. I think. Yeah. The one that's south of of where the the High Elves slash Blood Elves are. There's that Dragon and Nightmare portal, which means that there is a a Night Elf building there with a portal to the Emerald Dream, mm-hmm. and therefore. If not a world tree, they were trying to build something there that would have helped defend. And we know that there's another, I've always been weirded out about this. If you go to directly south of Stormwind, I, I want to call it, I can't remember if it's Nightvale or not. Dusk, uh, Duskwood. Duskvale, thank God. Duskwood, yeah. There's that enormous mountainous area just smack dab in the middle 
the crater of the zone. It's almost yeah, like it's, it's almost like a giant. It's almost like a giant crater yeah. where a mountain. Should almost be. like a crater, and there's another one of those night elf temple buildings with a giant portal to the Emerald Dream, and it's right there. It's if you're talking about you know hop skips and jumps away from things, it's not that far from the Badlands. Yeah, it's not that far from Aldemon. Yeah, and these roots that she talks about, it might not just be that they, you know, keep in mind first off that this would have been before even the well of eternity existed. Yes. Cause it was and before this, the, before Yasiraj got plucked. Yeah. So the world was shaped very differently and everything that we think of as the modern world was closer together because when the implosion happened, when the subsidence happened, a lot of things got pushed away. Mm-hmm. Like, so everything was closer together and if you go back and look at those ancient maps that, that are in uh, Chronicle, you can see that like Cthulhu's ref- you know, influence goes along the southern area and into what is currently Kalimdor and into what is currently the, uh, the eastern kingdoms, the southern area of it. He reaches as far as where the Dark Spear would eventually be. And Kithix, the uh, old god servant, when Kithix is awakened, Kithix is awakened in Stranglethorn. Yeah. And he went, why was Kithix in Stranglethorn when he went, he got injured fighting Tyr? Why did he run to Stranglethorn? Not, well, you know, he didn't try to get to the, any of the places we knew of. He didn't go to where we know that the Bastion of Twilight would eventually be. He didn't go anywhere we've seen Old God influence on Azeroth. He went to Stranglethorn. Why? Why did he decide to collapse and wait to, to, be, to be found in Stranglethorn? That's something that you really think about in terms of why the world was when this world tree was planted. It's possible that, yes, Ungoro is the remains of where the tree was. That doesn't mean that's where the the roots stopped. True. Very true. And the roots might have gone up and down and into all these places. All those places the Night Elves put temples. What if that's a place where the roots formed a nexus? And what if the tree that we see growing in each of them was an offspring of that original world tree? And that's why they made such good entrances and egresses to the Emerald Dream. Because Gahanir, the tree that this tree directly came from, that's where Gahanir is. It's in the Emerald Dream. So there's just, I, I guess calling saying it's in the Emerald Dream is, is a little disingenuous. It's a like it's like its own pocket reality. It's that almost you can like reach via the Emerald Dream. You refer to it once like it was Yggdrasil, right? Like it's almost like Gahanir yeah. is, is sort of like, it's Warcraft's Yggdrasil. And I think there's there's something to that, right? And I think that where the seeds fall, where the offshoots fall, and, and trees being born of great stature, I think that makes sense, right? Like to me, that 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 seems to coincide with all of it. But I keep coming back to what you're talking about with like Fandral Staghelm, right? I, I well, love- that's what I think. I think he might have known. That's what Did I'm saying. Yeah. Miles? I mean, I, I'm going to shut up and let you talk, but I'm just going to say so people know. I think that. What Joe and I are both probably thinking, and we'll see if you are thinking it, but is that Fandral might have known about this. Like he yeah. might have read this book or something like it, some other book that mentioned it. And he may have been looking when he was trying to plant world trees, he wasn't necessarily trying to supplant anything. No. He was trying to re to reuse that system of roots. He was trying to in effect, make it more powerful by layering more roots into it. And not only that, but he was, they were using it almost like a cap to like put it on top of something that should have been contained. They were using it like a stopgap. And I mean, he's not, he wasn't a dumb guy by any imagination. No, no. He, he was, he was a very Especially smart. T- before the, before the yes. war of the shifting sands, there's, you can't really point at anything Fandral ever did that was wrong. But there's, I mean, like I said, he was argumentative, but he wasn't necessarily off. Oh, 100%. And, and I do think that while he was argumentative, there's no doubt in my mind from everything we've heard about him that he was a brilliant tactician. And when you're dealing with things, there's almost like this moment, like when you read some of the older books uh, that were written by like, you know, Patton or, or you know, uh, some other famous generals that we've experienced, one of the things they do is they watch the enemy's movements to try to make predictions on where stuff is. This is old school. They would, okay, where are they avoiding? What are they going? Where are they going? What are they, what are they moving towards? Like, what are our scouts seeing them, you know, move towards or staying away from? And how can we use that to our advantage? So if he noticed a particular, you know, maybe disdain for something or that the 
uh, that they, they, the old God servants weren't, yeah, why aren't to they here? Yeah, why, why are they avoiding these things? Why, why are they weak against? Like, oh, why are they reacting to this? And then noticing that, it makes sense that he would go and say, well, yeah, planning a world tree makes sense because this is where the corruption is. I know that they avoided this stuff. I know that they can't penetrate these deep systems of roots. I'm just going to make more of it. I'm going to strengthen this network. I'm going to strengthen the shield, this bulwark that prevents them from getting out because very clearly Titan facilities do not work. They do not do the thing that the gift that Elune gave to A&R did. Not even close. The Titans could not touch it. Well, that's the thing. They don't necessarily, they were never really intended to serve that function. No, they weren't. They were meant to they, push it back. They certainly, well, no, they certainly seem to be able to hold old gods. Yeah. That's what they were supposedly designed to do, to hold them, not to stop their corruption. In fact, if we even, we even know of one Titan facility where they were studying their corruption because oh, they didn't understand. Yeah. And they straight up say, they, what is this? I don't, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't orderly at all. It's like, I find myself wondering if the weird fixation that Amonthul shows here for order over all else comes from their hugely negative reaction to the, the, the chaos that the old gods bring. Yeah. It's like, if they recoiled from it, and we're like, you know, anything that is in order, if it's like that, oh God, we, we got to get rid of this. And that makes me think about Sargeras's reaction. Sargeras saw a void creature infesting a world soul. He saw a world soul that was going to be born attuned to, to void. This tells us a couple of things. One, that you can do that. Mm-hmm. And two, we've been calling them Titans this whole time, the Titans. But Titan... I think we talked about this before. Titan might not be a word that just applies to the ones we're seeing, like, like Aonar and Amonthul and even Sargeras. Like Titan might just be like, you know, any of these beings that is like, like from one of these primordial cosmic forces, you could call the Pantheon of death Titans. Yep. I've been said they're as powerful as Titans. What, what is, what makes a Titan a Titan, like a Titan of order, but you can also have a Titan of void or of chaos, right? Yeah. And you can have a fell Titan. We know that you have a fell Titan. Yeah. Cause we have one. Sargeras became one. Sargeras realized that order seemed really weak against chaos. And so he went to something that wasn't weak against chaos fell, which is really good against chaos and order and everything because, you know, fell is literally the destruction of these things. Fell is like the place where everything goes back to be recycled. Fell is in its own way, universal reorigination. Yeah. And that makes me think about the idea that, you know, the old, the, the old gods are clearly want to make one of these things for themselves. They want to have one that, that is void based and works along the same principles as they do. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And that makes me think about what it is about a loon and the, the gift of, that a loon gave to Anar that doesn't, it isn't weak against the old gods. It's why does she so sure that life can do this when order can't like, what is it about life that, you know, is it because life is inherently both chaotic and orderly? It, Cause I mean, it really is. It's sort of the embodiment of both, right? Yeah. Life is fractal. Life repeats patterns, but life branches off in odd new directions. And then those odd new directions become part of the pattern. Life is an orderly progression of chaos. 
which sounds absurd, but if you look at, you know, chaos theory, the, the thing that we have in our world to explain how chaos works and unfolds, it's like, look at turbulence. The reason that, uh, that liquid has a hard time pouring out of a soda bottle compared to like just a bucket is that there's a bottleneck and the bottleneck causes turbulence because not just, you know, if you were trying to dump water out in a place with no air, then the water would just go straight down the edge of the end of the bottle. It's the fact that as the water is trying to get out, air is trying to get in that causes turbulence, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's, that's a principle that you can see like, you know, all over life. Like you can see it in your own bloodstream. If stuff cuts off a passageway, if stuff is trying to travel the same direction, like the opposite direction, you can see that in human bodies and throughout all, you know, other bodies as well. I just, I keep thinking about this in terms of like the concept of what root systems do. What does a root system do? It, it breaches the ground and it, it pulls like nutrients and stuff up out, out of the ground. Right. But it also pulls up heavy metals it also or, acts as a communication network because we know that yeah, about the we know that can not, talk, yeah. we they're literally studying this now. There's a paper that was just released about the largest forests in North America all sprung from a single tree and it all seems to be connected to the same root system. We talked about this a, f- a few weeks ago. And uh, there's that idea that you know plants have a symbiotic relationship with fungus, where there are these fungal networks that are effectively around the tree, constantly telling it this is bad stuff coming or good stuff coming. And, and all of this comes back to this idea, like A&R handed her a branch from Ganyir and said that this, this will, you know, this will help you. This will, this will do what you need it to do. If Fandral knew about that, and we know that of all of the beings we're talking about, we know that Elune possesses the power to kill an old god. Because one of Elune's chosen, one of the night warriors, killed an old god. Yep. Not, it was, just, it not like, go ahead. I was going to say, it wasn't Elune's first rodeo with old gods at this point. Yeah. So why, you know, and, and how did she know this exactly? Did she know it because of her first night warrior? Had she seen like what happened there? I mean, obviously she would have, if, if, you know, it happened, like, depending on when it happened, there's just, there was a lot to this to, to unpack and think about, but if Fandra was basically combing through everything he could find, trying to come up with the strategy to stop this, it's, it's sort of like, imagine You've got a you, you've got a crack in in the containment vessel that you can't decommission. You can't take it off and you know just just not have it. You need this thing to be where it is, but it's got a crack in it. You spot weld it. Yeah, that's that's what you do. I mean, you 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 know if if you've got a problem with a support beam, whatever, you would basically brace it and and spot weld it and do other things to keep it together until you could get something like an actual replacement in place. He may have been trying to do both. Well, the other thing too, that's interesting is like, think about where this book is. This book is in the Emerald dream where we find it, right? Yeah. It's, isn't it, it like right near Amadrasil? It's, it's in the inn at the base of Amadrasil, right? We don't know who left it there. We don't know who wrote it. There's nobody signed it or anything like that. The interesting thing is if that book exists and they know about it, that means that the story has existed in some capacity for some number of times. So I think it lends credence to the idea that maybe Fandral found this or figured this out or found bits and pieces of this, uh, this legend uh, going back, which also makes me think that there might have been a logical reason why he started doing the Druid of the Flame stuff. And this might be a, a little bit of a stretch, but I think there's some some potential here. Where, what do you do when you want plants to grow in a field that has grown stagnant? You burn the leftover crops that are now no longer able to flourish like they once were to push their nutrients back into the ground in order for new growth to spring forward. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Think about what the uh the exam the, the primordial guys we've been dealing with, what what their what is the, their number the, one thing that yeah, the primordial incarnates. Primordial. Yep. Yeah. What is their number one thing they want to get rid of? The influence of the Titans. If you're Fandral and you're reading this myth, what do you see in the, this myth? That the Titans made it actively worse. By, and, and by by essentially why, snubbing that gift. And of all of them, only A&R was listening, mm-hmm. right? The rest of them were not listening. And it was the power of a loon and not the Titans that was 
the point of this. It was the, the, the point of this myth. If you're him and you join with, who do you join with? The Druids of the Flame. Who are you associating with? Ragnaros. Who also? A, an elemental lord. Who has a problem with what? He has a problem with the old gods and the Titans. Yeah. Which is exactly, if you if you accept that this is the case, that the Druids of the Flame are not directly working for the old gods, they may be indirectly working for the old gods. Uh, in point of fact, you know, Firak might be indirectly working for the old gods, doesn't even know it. But if you assume that they're like, okay, look, we would have been much better off had they just got the hell out of the way. Again, he's got this myth to back him up. He could find other people to believe it. And they could have formed an association based around not, you know, it's it's kind of like wearing a glove. The Druids of the Flame are like wearing the glove of Druidical magic to control fire. And it's similar to like the way that the um, Yongol mm-hmm. use pain and self. They, they basically don't use a glove. They're sticking their hands right in it. They know that it's going to burn them. They accept that it will burn them as long as they can then tap that power. And we've talked about the Arathi, how the Arathi, it feels like they're using the light to do that. Like they, they view the light, the light is cast by fire, right? Fires cast light. If you're a people who went all the way back to total barbarism, fire becomes your first power that you've harnessed. Mm-hmm. Fire is the first thing that you learn to do that can change and shape the world around you. It's like you can use it to make weapons. You can like, you know, harden wood and bone using fire, and then you can make it form really good points that you can stab people with. Then you'll learn more about how to use fire, and you can use fire directly to burn things. Then you learn a bit more about how to use fire, and you find out how to concentrate fire, right? You can make, now you can make crucibles to melt things. Now that you can melt things, you can cast things. You can shape things in this way. And all of this comes back down to that primordial source. In a magical sort of way, I think that's what we're looking at. Where it's like shamanism is based around the concept of, I don't want to say communion, but interrelation with elementals. It's where you look at the elements as not outside things, but a part of you. Yep. You are them and they are you. And you can talk to them as equals and you can make deals or you can just be threatening. Like if you want to do dark shamanism, that's still based around the concept that you and an elemental being have a footwork, a footing in place where you can, you can have these conversations. Druidical magic does not have that because it taps into the Emerald dream, but what is the Emerald dream? And that's where, what we're seeing here in this, this myth that you found, it seems to be saying that the gift of Gahanir was life. Yeah. It's life power. It, it seems to imply that wherever she's from, Elune is based in life. And and these things that she brought to the table wasn't order. It wasn't even the light. It was life. Which would make a lot of sense, though, too, when we start looking at things like, let's go back to the curse of flesh. We talked about that the last week, and we talked about that pretty constantly. The curse of flesh is not necessarily a curse and and i've been arguing this for years and i will continue to argue this for forever it's i don't think it's a curse i think it's a gift and i think it's something that was hard-coded into the entities and i don't know that maybe not necessarily that it was now due to needing to feed uh anima per se but i do think that the idea of using life to combat these things may have played a part in that because Anar definitely had a hand in shaping the races that we now have the, the, the watcher races, the, the, all of them. She, she was there. She had a hand in it. She may have done that in purpose. It may have been something specifically crafted. That may be Anar's gift. Here's your beautiful chaos. Here's your beautiful ordered chaos that will allow these creatures, these things that we are making to go forth and fight and survive and to win, to do the things that we can't do because she is the only one that's listening to a loon. Yeah. The last time we were talking, I don't remember if it was last week or the time before. Didn't we talk a bit about how it seems some kind of like every one of the various cosmological forces has elements of the ones around it. Yeah. There's always like, there's like a bleed into it almost. And then that reversing it was interesting because it then showed maybe they're ultimately they're all adjacent to all of them. 
Yeah. Depending on how you want to look at it. Well, that's why I've been arguing that 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 Azeroth and the Prime Material is sort of like the perfect junction of all of them touching together. Yeah, but think about this point of it, which is not that not that the junction part of it, but rather that life is associated here with this tree. It's associated with a growing thing, a living thing. But we've seen life associated with with fire and with light, and we've seen those things also associated. Fell is very much associated with fire. Oh, one hundred percent. You know, and it's almost like the various elemental beings on Azeroth, like being an elemental is touching upon those other forces in a way that is more direct. Like it's, it's a step down. It's as opposed to like, you have like these beings that are made up of everything. You've got these beings that are made up of one thing, but the animating force is the cosmos. Like, and that's what anima is. Mm-hmm. Anima is the animating force, right? I mean, that's even its name is kind of suggests that. Sure. Yeah. Right there and with you. And, and the power of anima is universal and it can, it leads to all these things, but living beings, when they die, their, their anima goes back into the Shadowlands and is recycled and possibly sent back and so forth. All of this keeps making me think about the idea of, we just talked about how life is ordered chaos, that, that it is essentially fractal. If you take some water and you drip it, on, on, on like a dry lake bed or whatever, you'll watch, you can watch the path it takes mm-hmm. and it will always ultimately go for the path of least resistance. It goes for the thing that will allow it to move the furthest, the farthest, the fastest, all that stuff. If you think about what the tree of life might be doing, it's trying, it's not necessarily trying to actually fight the old gods or their influence. It might be what it's doing is inimical to the old gods and their influence because it is directly strengthening the world soul of the planet beneath it. Yeah. It's, it's ignoring the void. That might be how it's beating it because it isn't dealing with it. It isn't touching on chaos. It isn't relating to it in any way. It's not giving the void anything to corrupt. Which is why the void is so obsessed with it. Yeah, because they, they that's what they do. They corrupt things. If if we can't corrupt it, then what? Like they can't do anything in the material plane without making use of what's in the material plane. Yeah, like, it might not just be them. Think about that for a second. It's not just the old gods who can't do anything in the material plane. Because let's go back to those constructs you were just talking about. Those Titan forged who are made up out of elements and the curse of flesh eventually affects. The Titans had to make them out of something. Mm-hmm. And they made them out of rock and stone and metal. They made them out of the strongest elements they could find, but they made them out of elements. And yet, how does the curse of flesh change them? What what is what is the deal with making them flesh? Like, what does that mean? Like, why is flesh the thing that they become? I mean, flesh is still made up of elements. It's still made up of components. Like, you know, what did the uh the they used to call it clay? Yeah. Clay is clay is earth. You know, it's just, it's a, it's another kind of dirt, you know, and you, you make it clay by getting it wet and then you spin it and get, you know, you aerate it and then you heat it. And now it's, it's a, it's a porcelain. It's a hard, you know, material, terracotta and so forth. That's just a metaphor for the fact that, you know, we breathe oxygen, which means we oxidize things. Oxidization is just extremely slow fire. Rust and burning are the same thing, just on a different time scale. You're oxidizing the metal. You're oxidizing the wood that you burn. It's just a different scale because metal doesn't burn the same way, but it is oxidizing. It's the same process. All of this is me just getting around to the idea that the reason all of this is even like being mentioned, the reason that Elune sent a tree branch to fight the old gods, the reason that life is inimical to them is because they don't actually deal in life. They don't make life. They don't make anything. They twist life. Well, yeah, cause I mean, think but, even but think about the, the black empire, right? Yeah. The, the creatures that they, and I'm air quoting made here, weren't actually made. They weren't new. They butted them from their flesh. They're just little versions of themselves. Yeah. And even then, like, they have maybe evolved. Like you can look at the, uh, and, and think about that based on the stuff you were talking about. Go two ahead. Weeks ago. Yep. You were talking about this two weeks ago about how life changes things, how Azeroth seems to change things and, and create. If 
we look at the various original, the Naraki and the Akir, if we look at them and we look at how they have changed on Azeroth by being exposed to Azeroth. They're able to procreate. They're able to live life. Live their beings. They've been turned into beings. They have been hit by the curse of flesh. Technically, Zalatath falls into that category as well, since Zalatath, yeah. even even though Knife Knife Wife was, uh, you know, trapped in a knife, it still became its own entity. It was a separate being, and even now, regardless of it serving whatever purpose that it's serving and what it will be serving in the future expansions, it is its own being now. It is separated from that device, from that knife. Yeah, and that's the reason that this was the perfect weapon to use against the old gods might also be the reason that it so terrified Amonthul that he freaked out and ripped the tree out because it isn't a process he or anyone else can control. Mm -hmm. And it isn't a process that, that leads to just roiling nothingness. It creates, it makes things. It doesn't just corrupt things. It doesn't just, it's it's when it comes upon raw material, when the old gods come upon raw material, what do they do? They try to corrupt it and use it to make like servants for themselves. They try to turn things into servants. The Titans try to take the raw materials and create servitors. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. And we, we know this because we are their descendants, but we no longer are servitors. What if it, we've been talking about the curse of flesh for a long time. And we talked about how like the Titans, maybe the Titans made it. And maybe the old gods just figured out how to use it. But what if it's even deeper than that? What if it's Azeroth that made it? Entirely possible, too. And the curse of flesh is what we're talking about right now. The thing that that tree brought to Azeroth. Because trees in mythology are often used as symbols for dangerous knowledge. Yeah, they really are. Um, Odin hung from the tree nine nights out of nine. Uh, affixed to himself. He speared himself, hung himself from the tree in the pursuit of knowledge. Yeah. Where, and, and then you've got the Judeo Christian myth where you, there's an apple and it's in a tree and there's a serpent guarding the tree, but the serpent, you know, tempts them into taking the apple. They consume the apple. And now they have the knowledge of good and evil, which means now they can do those things that goes. There's plenty of other myths of a reptilian force guarding or interacting with a tree like Yggdrasil has the, the giant tree monster, you know, Nidhogg, the dragon, at its roots, gnawing at its roots. There's the the, the gardens of the Hesperides in, in Greek mythology, where if you want to get one of the apples, you have to go there. There's the apples of Idun, again, Norse. There's the, the walled gardens of, of ancient Persian myth, what we call Zoroastrian or Parsis. The, the word paradise literally comes from the words for walled garden. Paradisia. It paradisia is the walled garden. It's this is what is perfect in life. It isn't, you know, it's not just some magical land somewhere. It's a created land. It's a shaped land. It's a land we made with the knowledge of how to do it. And who taught them that knowledge? The trees. It was by studying the trees and by planting trees and gardening them that they learned how to make gardens. That's why the hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the world wonders because they figured out how to do that. There's that interplay. Life is all these other forces. Life itself is all these other forces. Mm -hmm. And that's to me, that's, I think that's one of the things we really have to look at when we're looking at this. Like there's a reason that, that Elune sent a tree branch. You know, you, you look at that and you think, okay, wait a minute. Um, Elune, honey. Well, also think about it this uh, way though, too, right? Like take it a step further real quick. What did we just learn in the Shadowlands about Elune? Yeah, that she's the opposite equal of the Winter Queen, and they call each other sisters. And she did what to try to help the Winter Queen? She sent her people. Who were filled with anima, who were filled mm-hmm. with life, a gift she gave but, to but, the planet, potentially. And also, if you think about that, since you're talking about that, that's actually really cool and interesting and made me think of this. Those people were going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. Elune didn't kill them. Elune didn't want them to die. But knowing that they would die anyway, she chose to try and divert them directly to her sister rather than allow them to go through the normal process of the Arbiter. Which means that Elune feels free to do that. Because Elune is an order of magnitude 
above potentially like a higher entity we've been talking about that for a while is is a loon a true deity we don't know a loon certainly feels that the winter queen is her sister like they they we see them interact when a loon is essentially possessing taronda and we know that she doesn't she doesn't treat the winter queen as an as as an inferior and we she doesn't do, even treat her like a younger sister. She which, treats her like a sister, which is fair. And A and R considering her, uh, you know, a great love would could also attest to at least being on the level of equals. But I mean, but, but she doesn't seem to consider the arbiter that they made an equal. That arbiter mm-hmm. wasn't an entity. It was literally like a robot that just did the arbiter job. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't have the have, soul. Yeah, she might have treated it differently were it someone like Zoval. If Soval hadn't gone cuckoo for Cocoa Buffs, she might have felt differently. But she saw no problem with going over the head of essentially the afterlife's receptionist. Like, no, no, no. I'm going to talk to my sister directly because I know who she is. You're nothing. You're you're a phone bank. Uh, I I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the person, to people who matter. That's something to think about in terms of this. Elune has always been mysterious, right? At least from our perspective, or at least has been presented as a mysterious entity. Yeah. But think about like what you were telling me, like, again, going back to like a couple weeks ago in terms of like why a loon might be so obsessed with Azeroth. We talked about how that, that thing under the ground might be essentially her offspring or, or whatever. Think about what that might mean with this new information. Mm-hmm. Why, why might she send something that might be an offspring to check on, you know, because Gahania was her gift. The, the, the piece of Gahania was her gift, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe he was going to check up on what had happened to it. Remember they say later mysterious people came to, to defend the, the network. The network is underground. It's roots. Mm-hmm. Where are we going in the next expansion? We going underground. Yeah. And what, what are the, the, the Arathi? presented as here fire worshiping beings who see the fire and light well saw the saw the earthen yeah the earthen that we're going to go interact with are defending like they even say in the promotional material for the next expansion that they will defend the underground they will defend that area to to the end of their lives like they will do whatever they have to there is nothing that will stop them from doing so why what is so important is it because that they know that you know what's there do they know about the network is that something that they're trying to keep intact is the sun that light that power that the arathi are going to be defending and calling upon is that part of why the network was able to thrive and grow and for that matter because what do plants need plants need light man (laughs) yeah but also think about this the earthen are titan forged right yes but aonar was a titan and aonar told her keeper freya mm-hmm. freya to, to guard on this to protect it odin is got a big mad on that that some of these people were quote unquote heretics it's quite possible that freya was the source of their heresy which if freya was like look look uh, he he you know he works for amonthul and that's that's all well and good amonthul is the head of the pantheon but we both know what happened when amonthul got got involved in last time in, in these matters. So don't listen to him. Just go there and do as I say. But it would go, also make sense. Protect this creation of, you know, Aonar and beyond Aonar, Alun. And that would explain why the tier of Alun was the thing that served as one of the pillars of creation when they'd finally won the war and they had to create a new system to preserve Azeroth. Well think about it too, like and this is maybe a mild spoiler for the end of the episode. But let's let's talk about the thing that we just did at this part of the campaign in the Emerald Dream. As we're going through the the Emidrasol defenses, we're recruiting dragons to come back to the Dragon Isle. In particular, there are two flights that we're trying to bring back. One, Netherwing. We talked about that before. We knew that uh, we predicted that it was going to happen. Makes sense. It happens. It's a really cool storyline. Like it's very short, but it's a cool insight into what they value and what they need. But the other one is going with Varanoth, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite dragons ever to exist in the history of Warcraft. Hands down goes to deal with Odin because Odin is in 
he's got them the storm dragons locked down some of them defected when they heard the call there are a couple storm dragons floating around Veldraken. um however most of them stayed because they were honor bound they made a promise to odin he's perverting them he's basically keeping them under his thumb but you get this idea that yeah, maybe he's just hard-coded like Amonthul was. Maybe he is exactly a one-to-one representation of Amonthul on a smaller scale where everything has to be perfectly, precisely controlled. You go back to, you know, dealing with him at level when he's showing up as uh, as Javi and you see all the interactions and you deal with him as Odin and you go back when you do the Order Hall stuff. Like, all that's very apparent, like we joke about him treating players like sort of Pokemon, but or especially if you're that warrior, oh yeah. my lord. But I mean, it's not not wrong. <laughs> he he, you are there to do what he wants when you want when he wants you to do it, and that's how he views everyone. And he was supposed to be in charge of everything. And of course, when he's in charge of everything, anybody who doesn't agree with him, whether it is Tyr, whether it is Freya they're going to be seen as heretics because they're going against the order of Amonthul because Amonthul wants it a very precise way. And that's all he's ever been doing. It's also potentially, and we haven't gotten this far, um, which I think is interesting. We'll come back to this maybe in a future episode, but Alduar didn't participate in the reorigination services. We don't know why we don't know. We know that Odin was going there and we can assume that he went there and very clearly went back to his little space of Valhalla uh, because when we go and deal with him with Varanoth, it's back in his home base. It's it's not in, you know, Alduar. We haven't really been back there since. We haven't heard from any of the Watchers that are there. But anybody who was there would have been considered a heretic in his eyes. He took his ball and went home, remember? Like, he crafted his own little his own little section. Yes, he did get imprisoned away with Helia, but he left all the other Watchers. Like, they were they were, they were on their own. All the ones that were left behind, those are the ones we deal with. I, sh- I, I feel like I should point out, not with Helia, by by Helia. Yes, sorry, I, I meant really to say by Helia, not with. What's really interesting is that if you go back and you look at Olduar, there's that giant trench in front of it. Yeah, that trench is from when they ripped the halls of valor out of Olduar because he was so mad that Tyr managed to convince everybody to empower the dragon aspects. As Joe pointed out, he took his ball and went home. Like, that is exactly what happened. He got Helya to do it. Helya is the one who actually physically ripped Mm -hmm. the Halls of Valor out of the ground, leaving that huge trench. That huge trench is presumably the the path they took when they buggered off. And that is... We we don't have time to go over the whole Helia story, but my word, if anything, ever wanted to show you what a terrible person Odin is. But to go back to it, I think it ties in here, though, too, because going back to the the Virana thing, one of the things you deal with is Ayr. Ayr is there. You you interact with her. Viranoth stares down Ayr and says, you're being used. You're being used as pieces in a game that you will never win because your master has no honor and has no respect for life, has no respect for the planet itself that he was supposed to be protecting. And I'm paraphrasing. It's much, much better written in game. Please go do the quest. And and it's really cool. But then even A&R goes, yeah, shield maiden step aside. This is in our fight for now. We're going to even Ayer does. Yeah. Even Ayer does. Uh, you know, you have all of these forces that Odin's been gathering with these honor bound trials and, you know, trying to do, they're all starting to see the truth of it. Maybe they already were years and years and years ago, but yeah, he's, he's not for life. He doesn't want life. He wants whatever he was programmed to do. And I think that's really he wants important. order. He wants order. I mean, to the point where we even see that he straight up lies. Like he tells, he even says to like to his subordinates, the mortals shouldn't be told anything about the first ones. They shouldn't be told anything about, uh, Zareth Ortis, which by the way, Zareth Ortis is a thing. Remember that yep. we, we called it back in like, you know, last expansion. Um, and I'm not saying that makes the Titans or him inherently evil or vicious or vile. I'm saying that it means that they are uniquely unsuited to the role of protecting Azeroth. Because they, they have a very specific way of looking at the, the 
at least in in that regard, right? They have very specific programming or guidelines. Maybe not all of them, because we know that some of them have deviated, right? Look at Sargeras. Look at look at uh, Anr. They deviated. They deviated in their own capacity. But what makes Amonthul so? We know that he was the first to wake up, supposedly. We don't know anything until he found the others. But what makes him so beholden to order? We also know that he gave the Bronze Dragonflight the or kinda ish uh the ability to see through time and space <laughs> yeah i mean i think i'm on fool is directly referenced by you know as dormu yeah Morozond when they die so does that play into it is is he like the light in the fact that while he can see the infinite myriad of time and space he only sees one possible thing is true and is so hyper fixated on that that everything else becomes anathema i don't know man there's, there, there might be something there. Definitely think there's something there. It's just a matter of like figuring out how much of this is Odin, how much of this is Amonthul, how much of it is just inherently Titan. You know, we obviously see that some Titans like Agrimar and Aonar are a lot more flexible than others. Um, I would argue that um, Norganon is another one that seems to be much more in step with mortal beings. Like Norganon is the one who was the ultimately the patron of Mimir, I mean yeah. Miron. Yeah. And he certainly like he left those discs behind and he definitely seemed to be it wasn't just the world as an abstract Titan entity that he was interested in. It was the world as a place. It was the world as as a place as a home to peoples. If you look at Alduar, there are there are these giant star based statue recreations of the mortal races of Azeroth. Mm-hmm. Now, assuming that either the Titans or the Titan forged, you know, watchers made those the keepers. Why? If, if Odin, you know, Odin's the prime designate, Odin doesn't care at all about mortals, except for his tools to push what he believes is the Titans worldview. Then why were those things there? Now to tie it back to, cause we're, we're sort of running out of time here. But things that are going back to the book itself and what I find fascinating is there are some levels of questions that are not answered yet. We don't know who wrote this book, The Legend of Eluna here. Well, we don't even know for a fact that that book is not like some kind of Emerald Dream recreation no. of what happened. Well, it might not even be a book that was written by anybody. Exactly. But I mean, that's that's the interesting part, because what do you have? You have one. The book looks like it is a book that has like tabs upon it. That looks like somebody's taking notes or journaling or going through and highlighting certain things. Yeah. And maybe are- somebody has dreamed about finding this. Someone has been on, on Azeroth has been having all these like, just, well, oh, I, I so hope. wish I could find this source that had all this information. And so the Emerald Dream created it so that you could find it. Well, I'm going to go on a wild chase here real quick, and I want to, I want you to, to come with me here and see what you think, because I think this is, you said something earlier, and we said a bunch of stuff that sort of sparked my my brain. In the Emerald Dream, we have a bunch of different races, not just of Azeroth, but we have denizens of the dream itself, ones that are born of the dream, but we also have ones that were born of the Shadowlands that have come to help us defend it. Lady Moonberry is there, right near that tent. Who died... That was serving the Druids of the Flame how long ago now? Oh, Fandral. Who? I mean, not just Fandral, but um, also... Well, let's go, uh, let's go with Fandral. Let's go with Fandral. But let's go with Fandral. Because what we were just talking about earlier, this might have been information that he knew. And if you're right, and this is a recreation of a dream, and he died, he went to the Shadowlands, he was a Druid. And if he was doing the right thing, and he wasn't judged unworthy or you know, a heavy toll on his soul because he was trying to do the right thing uh, and got sent back to be reborn before the anima drought occurred, because this is before the anima drought occurred. We know that that realm, the, the realm of the night Fae, directly touches and links with the Emerald Dream. It's entirely possible this is his book. Maybe it's a wild shot, but it would be very fascinating if this book was recreated, this dream in this moment of need, when the Firelands is invading the dream itself, going to attack a thing that, well, he probably feels very strongly about in some capacity, while one of his students is leading this charge. Just something to think about, especially with what you put out there, Matt, that maybe the dream brought this into existence itself because somebody dreamed it. Yeah, like the original book might have existed and Fandral might have studied it and then it got destroyed. 
and but the 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 emerald dream tends to preserve things that are destroyed if if and there's enough reason for it to do so so that certainly is something to think about yeah i i I think maybe we think more kindly about Fandral than perhaps the story demon at, at Blizzard does, but I do think that there's a lot going on that does kind of point to, if not not necessarily Fandral was right, but that Fandral was originally operating from good faith, and it at worst it got twisted. Yeah, and that's and, more what I'm thinking. I'm not, I'm not sitting here with the t-shirt that says Fandral was right. I'm sitting here thinking of, I think he was smarter than people give him credit for. Just because somebody goes off the deep end and makes bad choices doesn't mean they weren't intelligent before, you know, ahead of time. Like, he's often written as just being very, the butt of the joke. And I, I Well, yeah, because our first interaction with him was him being a jerk. Yeah. And if you played in, in vanilla, he was just, you know, he was just an unpleasant Bring me morrow grain. Yeah, unpleasant dude who wanted moral grain, which later turned out to be horrible. We poisonous, and why are we doing this? And that's a, you know that's the tail end of the man's life. So it may not be fair to you know know him from just that. But I think that's going to do it. Unless there's anything else you want to add, Matt. I mean, there are things I'd like to add, but I mean, we don't have time. <laughs> we definitely don't. Uh, but I do encourage everybody to catch up on the latest uh, campaign story chapter. Uh, I do encourage people to go and pick up this book, read it for yourself. It's a, it does stay with you. It's an item you can keep in your bags forever, um, which it will live in my bags forever. So, but I do want to thank everybody for staying with us on this wild journey. Blizzard watch is made possible due to your generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch. Your continued support means that this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. And right now we really do still need your help. If you are listening to this podcast and you are not a subscriber, please consider joining our Patreon. The $3 tier per month gives you access, early access to all of our podcasts. Um, it also lets you listen to them ad free, which is something that you will need to consider going forward in the future. Um, those people that do support us on Patreon also enjoy exclusive benefits besides early access, but also a better chance at having your questions or topics answered on our podcast or the queue. And it does, again, it lets you have that ad free site experience. Uh, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or the queue and podcast questions channel. And if you are a Patreon supporter, again, thank you for your continued support. Please go ahead and put your questions in the Patreon queue and podcast questions channel. Well, that folks, We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.